Good morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? Hey, we're glad that you're here. If you're new with us, welcome. Uh, we say, it, as you heard in the video, we believe nobody's too far from God experienced life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So thank you for joining us. Will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are attending live online right now. We're glad that you're here. Share this service. If you're here in the room, you can turn the volume off on your phone, share this service live. Uh, it's going to get a little crazy, so I hope you're ready. We are kicking off a brand new teaching series this morning on Song of Solomon, or as we're going to refer to it as Song of Songs. Yes, you can call it both. It's a book in the Old Testament, all a part of our year in the Word as we're going through different books of the Bible. And uh, over the next five weeks, we're going to look at a book in the Old Testament called Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Who's excited to do that? Now, I'll tell you, as we get into this, it's going to get real. Uh, if you're new to Mercy Road this fall, we've been looking at how the decentralized approach to church, how to truly live on mission, our outpost network, remember the outpost tailgate, and how to make an impact. And, and the, we're looking at the gospel of John, how to have the heart of Jesus. And what I want to tell you over the next five weeks is that area of our lives that Song of Songs brings up is one of the most destructive areas that the enemy loves to use to be divisive, to keep us from pursuing our missional calling, to help those in need, to proclaim our faith, because we have trouble in our dating lives for those who are in that stage, in our married lives, in our friendships and relationships, in a romantic nature as a whole, and we're gonna address all of that stuff. Are you ready? Now, I'm gonna tell you this entire five-week series is PG-13. So if you're here and you got young kids, the kids' ministry is phenomenal. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you want to do a little ninja prayer and walk out with your kids and take them into the kids' ministry, that's totally cool. But you know what's best for your child. And for some of you, young adults and high school students, you need to hear this stuff. I believe in our culture today, the enemy is looking to really be destructive in this area in your lives in particular. And so we're going to get real and we're going to address it. Turn to Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter one, as you're turning there, I want to give you a little background. This book in the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, was from you know, thousands of years ago, but using poetic, beautiful literature to talk about very real things. And so as we get into the details of this book, I want you to understand it's going to be flowery. Some of you are going to be like, dude, that's cheesy. Yes, it is. In love cheesy sometimes? And you're going to see this uh, man and woman fall in love with each other over these eight chapters in Scripture together. Now, pause. Before we start reading chapter one, you got your bingo card this morning. Uh, if you didn't, raise your hand. Ushers will bring one by. If you're like, well, I got a bingo card in church, let me tell you. Uh, you know, one of our core values is fun. So we thought this is a really serious, heavy subject that for some of you is going to be painful to discuss and so we're going to have some fun with it and just admit this is hard for some of us to address. So if you get your bingo card out, this is real. And I want to tell you, I, I say this every so often, this might be our worst idea yet. We're, <laughs> we're about to find out. But the creative team decided that during my sermon, if I say a word on your bingo card, you get to mark it with an X we gave you the space in the middle for free because it's bingo. If you, at any time throughout the sermon, uh, get a bingo, what do you do when you get a bingo? bingo. 
You yell bingo, raise your hand, and we will bring you uh, free hugs and kisses. The chocolate kind, all right? So it's going to be uh, some Hershey's chocolate coming around if you uh, win this morning. Now, every week, we won't necessarily have this many winners, but this morning, anybody throughout the entire servant uh, that wins uh, gets to yell bingo and raise your hand. So you can start now and track those words. And I'll tell you, at the last service, there were way more bingos than we were anticipating. So it's going to be a little crazy. Prepare yourself. It's okay to have fun in church, isn't it? Yeah, come on now. So I want to ask you this question, because why are we doing on this? How do you have a healthy dating life? If the enemy has a plan, which is to really be destructive in your life, he wants you to have the worst, unhealthiest dating life ever, right? To cause all kinds of pain and suffering and separation from God. So if we're going to look at, as followers of Jesus who want to live on mission to help those in need and proclaim our faith, we need to have healthy dating lives so that that doesn't become something that is an obstacle for, to God's mission in our life. And we're going to look at Song of Solomon to do that. Turn to chapter one with me, and we're going to read chapter one. I'm going to comment a little bit on it, and the majority of our time is going to be in chapter two. But I want you to get the nature of what's occurring here. Song of Songs starts with uh, Solomon's Song of Songs. Let me kiss him with the kisses of his mouth. It just dives right into it, doesn't it? For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is your fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the women love you. Take me away <laughs> with you. Let us hurry, exclamation point. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now, if you're like, that shouldn't be discussed in church. It's going to get worse like, throughout these chapters. And this is in the Bible. And why is it the rest of the culture screams about these issues in, in movies and TV and Netflix and YouTube and Instagram accounts? And we're constantly getting information from the world that is contrary to God's word on this area of our life. Why don't we go to God's word and see what it actually says? And it's very real. It talks about love and marriage and intimacy and romance. And we're going to get into all of those details. The next verse in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter one. Dark am I, she says, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedara, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Now, scholars will say this is a reference to, because she defines this, where this is. This isn't about her ethnicity as an Israelite. This is about the, her being a part of the working class. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. In that culture, it was thought that if you were wealthy, you didn't do any work, you weren't out in the sun, and if you weren't, that that wasn't a good sign for you that somebody wouldn't be attracted to somebody of a lower class. And essentially here, she has insecurities about her looks. Anybody can identify with that today? She's like, is he going to pursue me? Does he desire me? And vice versa, he's going to have his own excuse me, insecurities my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Now, pause there for a second. Uh, I'll leave the verses up there, but I want to tell you that uh, throughout the entire book of Song of Songs, there are going to be euphemisms. Do you know what that means? Like it's using an image to talk about something intimate 
physically in the relationship. And so vineyard here represents their physical or sexual intimacy. And it's not just why she says, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Oh my goodness. It's going to get real. I'm telling you, be ready. Verse seven, tell me you whom I love, where you graze your flock. Not talking about farming, just to be clear. And where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know most beautiful of women, he says, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare. Did you just catch that? Like when you're in love, you'll say anything crazy. He's like, I like it. You're like a horse, baby. <laughs> He's going to use and she's going to use animals to describe their love for one another. Just roll with it. Among Pharaoh's chariots, horses, my cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make uh, your earrings of gold studded with silver while the king was at his table. My perfume spread its fragrance. The scene and the environment is set. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. The Bible is very deliberate on this topic. And sometimes we cringe to use uh, the real words of what we're describing. But this intimacy and this romance, they're talking about their attraction physically to one another and their desire for one another. In chapter two, it's going to lead to courtship and they're going to begin to pursue and date one another. As we close out the chapter in Song of Solomon chapter one, it says, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my dar darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. Referring to the foundation of their relationship. And you're going to begin to see the physical temptation of one another sexually begin to set in. And we're going to see what God has to say to us throughout the entirety of Scripture using Song of Solomon or Song of Songs as the launching pad. In the middle of all of that tension and romance for one another, for those who are in that stage of dating, or for those who are married and want to date and pursue their spouse, what does it look like to do those things in a healthy way for not only one another, but your relationship with God? That's what I want to talk about. Will you pray with me? God, I know on this issue, uh, for some of us this morning, uh, there are things in our life that we're going to begin to be confronted with that are not healthy. And it's our own doing. And, and I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you might soften our hearts enough to truly believe that we could see change in this area of our lives. To admit the working of the enemy and to say we're going to fight back spiritually. And then, God, we also admit, soften our hearts, Lord, when it comes to uh, those of us who have experienced pain because of the decisions of other people, the way that people lied to us, the way that people hurt us, the way that people treated us, Lord, and didn't value us. God, may you take that away over these next weeks together. Speak to us, Jesus. Soften our hearts. And then, God, for those of us that, and even in our marriages, that this has become uh, something that is so jaded, there is no romance, there is no intimacy at all. God, we pray, Lord Jesus, that if we think that there couldn't be any change, that your spirit is, in the, is constantly bringing life change to those who pursue it. And so we trust you, God, soften our hearts. 
to believe that we could become the people you created us to be, loving, caring people. We give you this time. Take away my words, God. We acknowledge your presence here, your Holy Spirit. Speak to us through scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. You know, have you ever had something in your life that when you first started it, it seemed like a really great, fun, exciting idea, and then you realized it was a terrible one? Anybody ever have that? Uh, let me give you an example. It doesn't have to be in your dating life. Uh, when I first moved to Southern California, I was working as a youth pastor. I was about 22, 23 years old. And there was this family who had a sixth grade boy. I was a middle school pastor. And they were like, hey, we want to have you over for dinner. And we want you to like hang out with their son a little bit and invest in him spiritually. They're like, okay, cool. Came over, had some delicious carne asada sat there and eat. And then they said, hey, we got this great idea. You see that sod over there? We just laid that sod. And then when it starts to get dark, this raccoon keeps coming out and tearing the sod away and destroying all the money we put into that. What if you and our sixth grade son stayed up until it got dark and we gave you ammunition and you shot the raccoon for us? Dude, this is a true story. Still friends with these people today. Uh, they moved to Montana, probably fit well there. And <laughs> we were in California, and uh, you know, I thought, wow, this sounds crazy. I'm 22, 23, let's do it, bro. So we're sitting there, we're waiting until it gets dark. It begins to get dark, and all of a sudden, here comes the raccoon. And then it hit me. Why it didn't hit me until that moment, I don't know. But there's the raccoon. I've got a sixth grade kid with a 22 rifle aiming it at the raccoon with million dollar California homes in the background. And all of a sudden I was like, this is a terrible idea. And I, I like broke this kid's heart. I'm like, bro, take your finger off the trigger. I took the gun away. I didn't do it. His parents were like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I'm not having a sixth grade kid try and shoot at an animal with houses in the background. That's a bad idea. Anybody with me? How many of you are like, I pulled that trigger, baby? <laughs> but I don't know why it didn't hit me before that it was a bad idea. But all of a sudden, I realized this is going to get... And then it was hard because I had to say something and, and upset this, this kid. You know, I find sometimes in our relationships, even in the dating life, in our marriage, sometimes there are things that began and they started out as just like fun things that seemed exciting to us. And then one moment we hit us like, this, this was a bad idea. This is going to cause some problems or is causing problems in our life. And then you have to do the hard work to actually say something and do something about it. You know, and, and we have to be taught those things too. When, when I was a, a young man, 15 years old, if we got any like freshman or sophomore in high school in here, I was, uh, went on a date, wasn't old enough to drive yet. So I convinced my dad to chauffeur me around and we pull up to the, the girl's house and, uh, you know, we sat there, we were there on time and I sat there in the back of the car my dad was in the front of the car and I thought, well, she'll just come out here and get in the car. So, see, some of you know, there's a 15 year old boy somewhere here going, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I sat there in the car and my dad turns around. He's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, we're going on a date. He's like, well, aren't you going to go up and get the door for her? And I was like, no, that'd be weird. He said, you're going to get out of this car right now, or I'm going to make you get out of this car. And so guess what I did? I got out of the car, 
And I learned a valuable lesson to honor and value someone. And I went up and I got the door for her, both at the door at the house. And then I met her dad and then, which is what I was really trying to avoid if I'm being honest. And then I brought her back and got the car door for her because I learned my dad had to teach me a healthy dating lesson to value someone else. But we don't teach young people this sometimes in our culture today, and we're afraid to just be honest with people. I want to walk through four healthy lessons on dating from Scripture. I got so much content this morning. Get a pen ready. It's going to be coming out your ears, but I believe that this stuff is valuable to us. Number one, healthy dating lesson from Song of Solomon 2 we're going to look at here is to know your value. Know your value. God created you. The Bible tells us he knitted you together in your mother's womb, that you, if you've given your life to Jesus, are a son or daughter of the living God, a daughter of the king, a son of the king, that he values you more than anything on this planet. And so if you want to have a healthy dating life, you have to value yourself the way that God values you. So the attraction is budding between these two in chapter one. And in chapter two, the courtship is now going to begin. And look how it starts in verse one. She says, I am a rose of Sharon. (laughs) That was great. Do you want to know something really hilarious? Both services, I said rose of Sharon. Bingo! It was the first song. Uh, Raise your hand. They're going to bring around some chocolate for you guys. Wow, that was a lot of you. A lot of you. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It's okay. We do it at family reunions. We're a big family here, so let's have some fun together. And a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys, that, that flower, it's a flower, that is a particularly beautiful flower that had a lot of value. And and I share that, you know, a little side note for any of you uh, artists or musician types. Uh, you know, I was a fan of the band Mumford & Sons. Did you know that the lead singer, his dad, was the head of the Vineyard Movement in the UK, in the United Kingdom, and he actually wrote a song called Rose of Sharon. It's talking about this right here, the value of a person, and particularly this woman here in the passage. She knows that she is valuable And those insecurities she had in chapter one, those insecurities we all have over our image or character intelligence or whatever it is that you have it in, and movies, music, books, Netflix, Instagram, constantly remind us of those insecurities. She didn't allow the enemy to use those to think that she's not valuable. She saw herself with value and is going to allow him to pursue her. Now, I think there are times where Both of us have to, you know, put ourselves out there for one another. But she knew her value here. And, you know, I find a lot of times that both uh, men and women, we don't value ourselves enough spiritually to know that we are son or daughter of the king and that this stuff really matters. And maybe for some of you, this is the one thing you need to hear this morning that you've been going from relationship to relationship, not valuing yourself the way that God values you. You've been giving yourself up physically. You have been saying things and thinking things about yourself that are not true, and you look so down on yourself. I want to tell you today, the enemy wants you to think those things. He wants you to allow those insecurities to devalue yourself enough to devalue your relationship with God rather than the person you were created to be, a spiritual giant of the faith, awakening the reality of God to be used by him to impact this world, and he's going to let those insecurities steal your value away from you. 
Don't let him do that. You were valued the way you are, by the way, because of your creator. It goes on in verses three to seven. It says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in the shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. She also values him and his banner over her will be love. He will care for her. He's not ashamed or afraid to say, she is mine and I am after her. Verse five, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. You picture it? It's gone from attraction to courtship to now a little physical cuddling beginning to occur. And this is when the next stage of temptation that we're all very familiar with comes into play. And they have to begin to decide what are we going to do about it? And in some ways they will succeed, in some ways they won't. But they'll address it here at the end of verse 7. Look at the beginning of verse 7. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. <laughs> Keep them going. Just shout them out. They, they, yeah, yeah, they are struggling. And we got to find a way for them online too, right? You got to yell and bingo online. We'll get some online cards. Uh, they're cuddling. The temptation has set in, but they know their value before God. And they need to remember point two, a healthy dating lesson is this from Song of Solomon 2. Do not awaken love until it so desires. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Look at uh, verse 7b. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. All of this beautiful romance and courtship, it, in that moment it says, oh, it's starting to get hard, but when do you arouse and awaken love, biblically speaking? And when you are committed to one another in marriage. And it's saying there will be a time for this, but the time isn't yet because we may not be able to handle it. Which brings up this important question that young people often ask or people who are in the dating life who maybe aren't young here this morning. And some of you may cringe and say, we don't need to talk about this in church. Yeah, we do. You know, the question that comes up at that moment often is how far is too far? Physical intimacy in a dating relationship. We're talking about dating right now. In a dating relationship, what does that look like? I worked with young people for a long time. What I know is we will all like tiptoe up to the line right? And then we'll find a line and then we'll start putting our foot over a little bit, get a little taste of that to see how it is. And then we just, all of a sudden we fall in backwards right over it, right? And we look around and wonder why we feel distant from God. And I often see when that occurs, they no longer are connected to their church or to Christian community, confessing their sins to one another because they feel shame over it. God doesn't want you to feel shame or guilt. He wants you to embrace forgiveness and redemption and to turn to him to be honest. And I'm always surprised, like, why do we try and hide stuff from an omnipotent God? Like, he already knows it. If we're honest with him, confess our sins to one another, we can find healing. Do not arouse and wake in love. So how far is too far? Let's get specific. I'm going to take a verse. I think it's in context, but it's slightly out of context. All right? You're like, don't do that. Well, we're going to do it, and I'll show you why. First uh, Timothy 5.1. Now, this is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, right, in the New Testament much later. 
And he's talking to him as a young man of how to deal with relationships. It's not about romance. It's not about marriage. It's not about sex. But I want you to see what it notices or what it says here in this passage. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with what? Absolute purity. In other words, how far is too far? How far would you go with your brother or sister? Think about that for a second. Like, dude, that's wrong. (laughs) That is not what that passage is talking about. Well, it is talking about how to treat people in a godly relationship. It's not talking about romance yet. And look, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or set standards that you'll never obtain. That's not the goal. But I want to tell you is that spiritually speaking, I think we set the standards so low for, for what God wants to do in our life. And what it says is in your relationships within the church to live with absolute purity, to honor them uh, as, as God would honor them in their life, to treat them as a brother or sister in Christ until you're married, that's what they are but let's get a verse that actually really is addressing that issue. It isn't taken out of context at all in uh, Hebrews 13.4. Wow, nice. Keep them coming. Uh, raise those hands. Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep the marriage bed pure that it can lead to sexual immorality. The word, by the way, for sexual immorality in Greek is the word porneo. It means sexual morality, and I think we can see what other words it's referring to in our culture today. Pornography is just an example of the enemy using something to give you a false sense of the real beauty of romance and relationships that God designed humans to have. It's the, it's the false version of it, not the real version of it. And by the way, that sexual morality in Hebrew culture definitely would have included premarital sex. In that passage, it is obviously referring to that as well. And I don't want to get into the details of that, but on the wedding night, the the spouses would have to come out after the wedding night and show proof that they were both virgins uh, when they first came together that night. And I share that to say, uh, not because we want to live in 3,000 years ago in their culture, but to give you the example of what this is actually teaching in Scripture. It's saying, guys, this is the one thing in your life that could really be destructive. Be careful. He even says in Ephesians 5.3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. It'll say, flee, run away from it. This can become such a foothold in your life, a stronghold that keeps you from pursuing God's best. And so some of you then say, well, but I'm in a single uh, life. I really want to find somebody. I I have these attractions and these urges, just like they do in uh, chapter two. They're beginning to cuddle. Like, what am I supposed to do? And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to embrace the season God has you in. Singleness, I'm going to put some of these up on the screen. Singleness is not a disease you need to get rid of, but a part of life you need to embrace. Now, look, I worked with young adults for a really long time. And a lot of times, uh, people in their mid-30s who were single would tell me, dude, you don't know. You don't know because you got married in your late 20s. You don't know. And I don't. 
And so look, I'm not making light of anything that you're going through, but what I am saying, there are great examples throughout scripture of people that embrace their singleness, the apostle Paul obviously being one, and said, I don't need something else in order for me to be whole in God's eyes. They embrace the season and God used it. There are certain parts of that season that you don't have the distractions of all the relationship stuff and the, the arguments you have to work through and the, and, and the kids' calendars and all of that. Embrace it to be used by God in a way that other people can't enjoy that experience. And then know that you can uh, become the person God wants you to be. Be patient and become the person you're looking for. I always find people like guys will be like, uh, what kind of uh, woman are you looking for? Well, uh, she's like super hot. She's like a model and loves Jesus, but always accidentally said it in that order. And then like really smart and intelligent and fun and is okay with me hanging out with the dudes. And I'm like, that person doesn't exist, right? And we set these ridiculous things. And then you look at the person, you're like, that, that's not gonna work for any of us, right? Like, and, and vice versa, women, sometimes we can do these same things. And what I want to encourage you to do is not that not have standards, have standards, but first focus on who am I becoming so that if I find the person I'm looking for, I will be in a healthy place spiritually to actually love them the way that God intends for me to. In fact, I don't have time to go into the details, put them all up on the screen at the same time. I've shared this many times in our church, biblically five non-negotiables of dating, I've given some scripture references there if you want to write them down, that rather than beginning with your list of things that you have to have, begin with some biblical principles and values if you're looking for someone else. One, that they're a Christian. Two, that they water the camels. You're like, dude, that's weird. Uh, get that off the list. <laughs> Read Genesis 24. It means that they were willing to sacrifice and serve each other first. Three, they're attractive to you. Now, they don't have to be the most incredible-looking human the world has ever seen, but they have to be attractive to you. You, I think, both want someone who is going to want to pursue the other one. Number four, other people see the good in them. Number five, they're loving. Now, if you're married and you're still wanting to pursue your spouse, and there's some of those like, I don't know, I it used to be on the list, but now they don't fulfill that one. Well, good news, the beauty of marriage is you get to work through all that stuff and appreciate them for more than just a list. But if you're in the dating world right now, to begin with these biblical principles and say, I want to find somebody with the character that, that God desires us to have. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Instead, make God's word in dating the priority to have a healthy relationship. Number three, if you're taking notes then, let's say you actually find somebody. It's okay to take godly initiative. In fact, you're going to see in, in Song of Solomon 2, they take, the guy takes godly initiative here. And sometimes the woman back is going to give some godly initiative. Where is it that you know in your life that there's something that you have of interest and you just need to be honest about and take some initiative with it? Look what it says in verses 8 to 13. Listen, I love the old school King James. Behold, my beloved, look, here he comes leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. I love this passage because she's like, look, here he comes. And she uses this analogy and he's like prancing. 
And then it says he's like bounding over the hills, right? As he frolics over to her. She has this beautiful picture. And some of you are like, I want that kind of man, right? Well, you got to treat him like he's going to become that kind of man. And then some of you are like, uh, my man couldn't do that. He's way too, we've been married for 50 years. He ain't bounding anywhere anymore. It may not be the way it once was, but you can show godly pursuit. Remember this godly initiative, godly initiative and pursuit of one another. <laughs> it, gets, it gets crazy. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Again, somebody's like, he used to be a young stag. Now I just take anything, right? Like, but it means that he's pursuing. Look, there he stands behind your wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. And then it got creepy. Anybody agree? <laughs> By the way, you're going to see this later on. At this time, he's still pursuing her in a way that she is receiving. But later on, after they're married, there's going to be some pursuits that are not godly. And he's allowing the enemy to bring temptation to cause him to pursue her in a way that she doesn't desire to be pursued. Because I want to tell you this, I believe that uh, the best place to find a, a woman who loves Jesus is, is in the local church through the mission of the church to pursue God in that way. But, but I want to also tell you this is not the bar. This is not the meat market. You don't come here to pursue her in a way that she doesn't want to receive. You don't come to church to pick up chicks, right? That's weird. Or vice versa. But as you come here and you pursue God with one another, you never know how God is going to connect you in that place because you're going to surround yourself with people of character and godly nature that desire the same things as you. And in this passage, she is being pursued in a way that she uh, desires. And that creepiness will come out a little bit later. And I'll, we'll talk about that in chapters five and six. But then going on, it says, my beloved uh, spoke to me, verse 10. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The, the fig tree forms its uh, early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. She's inviting him then to continue to pursue her. And he says, my dove in the clefts of the rock in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. This beautiful, intimate pursuit of godly initiative of one another in a way that it's actually received. That is not sinful or wrong, by the way. God is the one that created romance. He created relationships, marriage, even sex we'll get into later on. It's not bad to take godly initiative for one another in a way that it's uh, well received. And some of us think that what we got to do is I'm going to go old school for just a second for some of you that the fellas in the room, you like, I got to like look good. The new word is I think peacocking. Is that like a thing? I watched a movie that used that word. But anyway, it's like, I'm old school, so I picture like Miami Vice style decked out. You know what I'm saying? I got to strut in there, have a little swag, and that's what's going to... No, what it's saying is pursuing her, not with your bravado or the way that you want to be viewed, but pursuing in her and her pursuing you in a way that it's actually received. And that if you're finding a godly woman or if you're finding a godly man, somebody that wants God at the center of your relationship... And when you find that, take initiative to pursue that in a healthy way. Pause here for just a second, then we're going to close out. I've got a two-minute video. 
um, about something happening this weekend. Uh, many of you are familiar with the Significant Marriage Ministry. If you're not, you can go to the significantmarriage.com. And it's happening this weekend right here at this church, uh, November 4th through the 6th. And you can register online today. And I want to encourage you, some of you who are seriously dating, you can attend this and begin to set, have a plan for how you're going to take initiative to have a godly marriage one day, or that you want to find out if you should pursue marriage. And then for many of you who are married that need to date your spouse and begin to invest in one another, you got to sign up this weekend if you haven't been through it. Let's watch a short video of some couples in our church discussing the impact it made in their marriage. Hi, we're Dave and Mary of The Significant Marriage. We founded The Significant Marriage because we had worked with couples in crisis for so many years that we wanted to do something to prevent them from ever needing a crisis weekend. And so when we were writing The Significant Marriage, it was really to help a couple learn how to protect their marriage, how to be intentional. But as we were writing it, God really changed the message in our hearts that we needed to set couples on mission, that The Significant Marriage was going to be about finding out God's purpose for you as a couple and then making a difference in the world. I think we went into TSM already having a lot of um, experience with marriage counseling and marriage conferences and marriage seminars. And uh, this was hands down the best experience that we've had. It helped us to begin to formulate what is, what is the design that God has for our life. And then we have a target now to be able to um, build everything in our life and, and in our marriage around that design. I felt that um, it opened up the conversation. It was amazing for us. We had conversations that we've never had before. TSM put me in a space where I have to evaluate myself and understand my personality and understand how do I actually love my wife and actually live with a plan of this is how I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to protect my marriage. This is how I'm going to invest in my marriage. We had been to um, a couple of marriage conferences before, and so I think myself going in, I was expecting kind of the same thing. And what we got out of it was really different in terms of how we understood um, ourselves individually and then how we understood the other person more. They take you on this journey of self-awareness. So you figure out how you're different from your spouse. You're able to get aligned on your core values. And sometimes just that awareness is enough to have that aha moment. And you start to figure out, wow, okay, this is what I'm bringing to the marriage and this is how I can have empathy for how my spouse is different. It was really affirming in a lot of ways and just solidifying who we are as people, who we are as a couple. Like right now we're kind of in you know, building our marriage and just that foundation and the family and eventually I think God is gonna be able to use our story and just the redemption through our story and the forgiveness and the grace and everything that, that came out of it to, to help other married couples. Our hope is that it will motivate you to follow all the plans that you have developed so that you can achieve the things you have set for yourselves. And fulfill that purpose that God has for you in living a significant marriage. Amen. It's happening this weekend. Register at significantmarriage.com. We have seen so many people benefit from this to have actual plans for how you're going to pursue and initiate godly, uh, God-centered relationship in your life. Final thing I want to say is this in Song of Solomon 2. You got to catch the foxes. Some of you are thinking that is something is not. It's not uh, talking about catching uh, attractive people. It's talking about the things that come into our lives that are destructive. 
Look what it says here in verse 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Remember that intimacy in the relationship? Are vineyards that are in bloom. They're falling in love with one another. They've begun to court and date each other. And now she's like, we got to catch the foxes that are going to come in and destroy what God is doing. And I think what we don't acknowledge enough in our lives, single married people alike in this area, is the things the enemy wants to use spiritually to attack us, to steal, kill, and destroy. What are the things in your life that are spiritually destructive to your relationships right now? What are they? I got a list of like the high level stuff and then you can get to particulars. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's greed, maybe it's lust. Maybe it's anger over things of your past or lying or deception. John 10.10 says it's the enemy, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that it may have life and have it to the full. He wants you to have the life that you desire. He wants you to have healthy relationships, including a, a healthy dating life and a healthy marriage. But if you want to do that, you got to catch the foxes that the enemy is constantly sending in that we don't even acknowledge. I shared this at the last service. I didn't intend to share this this morning. Two months ago, a woman that I believe really knows the Lord well contacted me and said that she believes that God spoke to her in a dream that I needed to be careful about some temptation that was gonna be coming up in my life. Now, when I heard that, I took it super seriously because I think a lot of times we think that like, well, I'm a Christian now. That's going to be, no, when you're a Christian now, the enemy really wants to come at you. And I've seen people surrender their life to Jesus, be baptized, go through rooted, give their life to Christ, make changes. They get six months, a year into it, or maybe 10 years into it. And all of a sudden they allow the enemy and it just started at first, something little, not that big a deal. It compares uh, Satan in the New Testament to a roaring lion. But I find when he often comes into our lives, he's like a little lion cub. He's so cute and cuddly. And then the next thing you know, that thing takes root and begins to grow. And before we know it, we're devoured by the very thing we didn't think was a big deal. I don't know what it is in your life. I guarantee in our culture today, in a room our size, there are some of us that are struggling, many of us who are struggling with pornography, who are struggling with cheating on people, lying to people. That greed drives our relationship decisions rather than God. There is no finger pointing this morning, no believing that someone is better than you or a better Christian than you. God's not the one that wants you to feel shame and guilt over those things, the foxes that are coming in. What does he tell us he wants us to do? He wants us to guard our heart, Proverbs 23, to prepare that the enemy is going to attack. He's gonna come to steal, kill, and destroy. So be prepared. This young couple with love budding says, we're going to catch those foxes because the Spirit of God is in us and we could be used to fight back spiritually, to pray, to call on God, to turn to Him in your temptation. When you fail to admit it and not hide it, He already knows it. Why are you hiding it? Talk to somebody. Be honest. Repent. Say, God, help me. Take this from me. And then you'll take two steps forward and you'll take one step back. And then you'll take three steps forward and you'll sometimes take four steps back and then five steps, but you're going to stay in the fight and fight back spiritually because you're not going to let the, the enemy that runs this world currently to dictate your romantic relationships and to become an and steal, kill, and destroy all God wants to do with your life. 
And I've seen people who've been married 50 years that allow this thing to come in. And they get jaded. They stop pursuing their spouse. Don't let the enemy win. Begin to fight back. Will you pray with me? God, right now, all of us, we need to be honest that there are things where the foxes have been getting in and destroying healthy dating lives and marriages in this room right now. Lust and lying and deception, God. And, and you want to offer, like you did the prodigal son, your loving embrace, your forgiveness and grace and mercy, but we have to run home. So if there's anyone here in the room or online that you admit right now this morning, you need to run home and embrace the forgiveness and grace of God in this area of your life. Pray with me. God, I confess that I need you. I repent of this thing in my life. You need to admit what that thing is because you know you got to let it go. Admit it to him. Not out loud, just quietly right now in this room. God, we want to catch the foxes in our life. We repent of any of these things in our life that are destroying our relationship with you and our healthy romantic lives. We surrender our, our lives to you. If you're dating or married or single or anything in between, God, we surrender it to us. Help us to embrace the season we're in, to honor you in that season. We love you, Jesus. We give you our lives this morning. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.